0: My name is Keith Beavers, and I've been thinking about this for like almost my entire life, and I have to actually verbalize this. Finally, the closed door button on elevators is a placebo. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to Vine Pair's Wine 101 podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair. Vine Pair Keith on Insta. And what is happening with you today? Okay, guys, we're going south of Washington to a place called Oregon. <laughs> Oregon. Oregon. I don't know so he has to help me it's a wonderful wine region we're going to talk about it this episode of wine 101 is sponsored by columbia winery in the fine state of washington what you thought only apples grew there columbia winery crafts critically acclaimed wines from some of the most impossible wine growing terrains in the state did you know that grapes grow in the desert and make rich amazing wine no really it's like columbia winery has captured the state of washington in a glass Give Columbia Wine a swirl at their tasting room located 43 minutes north of Seattle. Or take a wine exploration class. You will not be disappointed. Okay, wine lovers, here we are in the Pacific Northwest still. (laughs) And we are going to be just south of Washington, just north of California, in the state of Oregon. And I believe I'm saying the state correctly, Oregon. And if I'm not please let me know because if you're from Oregon you're an Oregonian and i don't know anyway i'll get there but what i'm trying to say is we are still in the cascade mountain range yes we are still in the pacific ring of fire guys i don't i don't know what it is i don't know what my obsession is with that i just love that the pacific ring of fire just sounds pretty cool and epic i don't know why anyway with washington state I think what my my big deal with Washington state was how recent everything is in the development of the wine industry of that state and you know kind of like how recent everything is in the United States and how we're still exploring and when we talk about Oregon which is very cool because the wine region of Oregon is just night and day different than the wine region z in some of the wine regions of Washington state, except for the Puget sound, which we'll get into. But similar to Washington state is the, you know, the development in that it was only in the, in recently in the early two thousands, which we'll get into again, um, in Oregon that a lot of their AVAs were awarded and we're kind of, again, just like in Washington, we're in this place where Oregon may have a more of established national um, image than Washington State, but it is still, you know, developing before our eyes. So let's get a sense of Oregon, what's going on, and get a good general understanding so we can get on the ground floor as this stuff develops. So for wine, where Washington State's, the majority of Washington State's wine is made on the east side of the Cascade Mountain Range in a semi-fertile desert, right? And it has that one AVA, Washington State, on the other side in what is called the Puget Sound AVA. That AVA, with all of its Pacific Ocean influence, is the most similar to what happens in Oregon. Because as the Cascade Mountain Range goes down through Oregon, it's called a coastal range at this point. There are these valleys that exist on the western side of the coastal range and then, of course, shoot up into the foothills of the Cascades. And these valleys help us, they can help us understand almost the entire wine growing region of the state. In the north from Portland, which is right on the border of Washington State, all the way to Eugene, Oregon, about 150 miles or so, is what's called the Willamette Valley. I'm sure you've heard of it. There's a lot going on there. We're going to talk about it. South of the Willamette Valley is another valley called the Umpqua Valley, U-M-P-Q-U-A. And then just south of that is another valley called the Rogue Valley. And that's basically it. And then within those valleys are sub or what the United States is starting to call nested regions, so you have a larger ava called the willamette valley and then you have a nested regions within the willamette valley we'll get into that of course and then that's that's like i said that's that's oregon but the thing is what's really wild about oregon is that there are descending avas there's a descending ava basically coming down from washington state the columbia valley dips into northern um Oregon and then the Columbia Gorge AVA is sitting right there on the border on the eastern border of Oregon there is a wine region called the Snake River but that that AVA is shared with southwestern Idaho yeah Syrah from Idaho pretty great stuff guys but as far as and that's basically it so you have the three regions the three valleys and you have these sort of outlying areas and where, like I said, Washington State is mostly in a irrigated, semi-fertile desert, in Oregon, the wine, the majority of the wine-growing regions are in, are in that Pacific coastal range, so it's kind of a famously wet area. Goonies never say die. How about you Gen Xers out there? Anyway, even though it does rain a lot, the majority of the rain falls between October and April, so it kind of misses the... The, the really important parts of the growing season. So the winters are mild, but the summers are cool and wet. So how does, how do vines work here? <laughs> well, you know, when immigrants came over to this land that it was, would one day be called Oregon, they started planting vines. They just this, this is what European immigrants did when they came to America is they looked for places to grow vines because that's what they did back home. And Vitus vinifera vines make it to what was now called Oregon in the late 1800s. So from the late-ish 1800s, like the 1860s, the early 1860s to about the late 1930s, there was a wine industry here. So something was working and i don't really know what kind of varieties they were growing there um it just was vinifera european wine grapes but the thing about this is the the modern era of wine in oregon is really what we want to know because that little piece of fact history fact i gave there that's about it it's just like there was there was wine happening there and then for a long time it just kind of wasn't around as much. I'm sure wine was being made, but for a long time, I'm sure Prohibition had something to do with it. I'm sure Phylloxera had something to do with it, but it, it kind of stalled for a while. But it wasn't until the 1960s that we start seeing the modern wine era of Oregon begin. And I know I haven't said the, I haven't said the grape yet. I haven't said it yet. I haven't said Pinot Noir. Oh, I did say it. It wasn't there yet, but we're going to get there. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody says to you, it can't be done? So, obviously, you go and try to do the thing that you said you wanted to do that they said that couldn't be done, and then you go and do the thing that they said couldn't be done, and then it goes even further than that. So you get to look back at that person and go, ha, eat crow. Eat crow? (laughs) Eat crow? (laughs) Whatever. But you know what I'm talking about. Well, the Oregon wine industry that that's basically how it began <laughs> in 1961 there was a graduate of UC Davis his name was Richard Somer and i don't i don't really know if he was thinking about Oregon or he was talking to somebody about Oregon or something but somebody said to him it would be ill advised for you to grow vitis vinifera grapes in Oregon it just won't work so He's like, well, that's okay. Well, I'm going to go try it anyway. So up until now, we really haven't had that sort of like aha moment. Yes, there were humans in the hills in the 1860s up until like the late 1930s. And wine was happening. But at this point in the 1960s, that is a relic of the past. And so Richard Sommer comes up to Oregon. He lands in the Umpqua Valley and he starts planting Vitus vinifera. And this is considered the moment everything begins. He's considered Richard Somer and his winery Hillcrest is considered. He's sort of considered the father of Oregon wine, and Hillcrest is there to this day. It's really great, and actually, they do uh, you know they do Pinot Noir, of course. But they also have Riesling, and we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Um, but that was a moment. That was one a big moment in Oregon. The second moment also came in the 1960s. The thing is, (laughs) it was another person from California that was told they couldn't do something in Oregon, and he was like, well, we'll go ahead and do it. Charles Corey, C-O-U-R-Y, was a meteorologist and enologist graduate from UC Davis. He was another person (laughs) to come to Oregon to prove that these vines could thrive here. And he, this is, this is the guy who made his way to where the heart of the concentration of the Pinot Noir world would begin. He ended up in just south of Portland. That's kind of where all the Willamette Valley kind of stuff starts. And he started planting different varieties, mostly Alsatian varieties. So wine varieties from, that would be grown in Alsace, Riesling, uh, Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, stuff like that. And he is responsible for a clone of Pinot Noir that is still in use today in Oregon called the Corey Clone. Big moment. You know, I don't know what professor or professors were saying this stuff, but yet another graduate from UC Davis by the name of David Lett was also told by his professors that you should not... Plant specifically Pinot Noir in Oregon. It will not work. The temperature's not right. It's just not right. Well, that's interesting because a meteorologist is there, and he's growing Vitis vinifera just fine, huh? So David Lett's like look. I'm gonna go try it too. So like you know, like I said, meteorologist Richard Somer was a meteorologist. He was a he was an enologist, and he was doing an experiment basically. And David Let you know, he was a graduate of UC Davis, so he, he had a degree in winemaking. But dude was also a philosophy graduate from the University of Utah. So this dude, this heady guy, <laughs> heads up to the Dundee Hills in the Willamette Valley, just south of Portland, in the northern part of the Willamette Valley, convinced and determined to make Burgundian grapes work, specifically Pinot Noir. Now, this, I mean, this is a lot of determination. I'm sure the word is getting around. So other people come to this area to start making wine. There's about, I don't know, a little bit less than a dozen of these winemakers. Some of them are are graduates from UC Davis. Some of them are not. But the activity begins. David Lett begins Erie Vineyards. And in 1979, this is a couple years after the Judgment of Paris, so there's a lot of these things going on, like the competition things, quote-unquote. There was something called the the Wine Olympics. Yeah. And um, uh, David Lett's 1975 Pinot Noir showed very well at the, um, the, the Wine Olympics. Now, I, I don't know if it won awards. I don't know what was going on there. But what I do know is it turned heads, raised eyebrows, and people were like, wait a second. There's something happened here in the Dundee Hills. There's something happening in the Willamette Valley. So this is part of the story where word starts getting around. <laughs> and it even starts going, you know, abroad. Actually, the governor of Oregon at the time, Neil Goldschmidt, took had an official visit and took winemakers and people with him to Burgundy to talk to Burgundian winemakers. Now, I'm not sure how this all went down, but... Robert Drouin, who is a very famous, very well-known wine merchant from Bone in Burgundy. If you don't know Bone, please listen to my Burgundian episode. He ends up coming to the Dundee Hills and establishing a winery not far from David Lett's vineyard. So he's like... I see your climate. I see your soil. I see your slopes. I see your wow. I'm going to, I want to, I am excited. I want to try that. When you have somebody from a winemaker who's hundreds of years of established in Burgundy getting excited about something happening in the United States in the 1970s into the 80s, that's kind of big. It's kind of a big deal. And this is really where it all began. This is what you and I. When we hear about Willamette Valley Pinot Noir, this is where it all started. By 2013, the total area under Vine in Oregon was over 26,000 acres and 400 wineries. And really, you know, Pinot Noir is what made Oregon, Oregon. It's, it's what put the wine situation in Oregon on the map. I'm going to tell you right now that Oregon is not just Pinot Noir, but we have to understand that this place and this grape are intertwined forever now. I mean, that's it. We think of Napa. We think of Cabernet Sauvignon. We think of New York State. We're beginning to think of Riesling. We think of the Willamette Valley or Oregon. We're thinking Pinot Noir. And it's in the Willamette Valley where you get a couple things that are unique to this area. Number one, there's a kind of soil in these hills and mountains that is you that is very special to this area it's called jory j-o-r-y and it's a very clay-based loamy soil i don't want to get into i don't really get into soil compositions on wine 101 because it's a whole other <laughs> podcast i don't even know but that soil is one of the elements that helps these vines grow the way they grow there's another uh soil specific to this area called the willa soil mix and again, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it's a very drainy um, soil. it's It's a soil that really helps the Pinot Noir or the whatever vines you're you're planting there drain well, grow well, moderations everything. It's great. So because of the popularity of Pinot Noir from a movie in 2004 called Sideways, and a place in our country that concentrates almost primarily on the Pinot Noir grape. Again, we'll get into that. The Willamette Valley in Oregon has been an intense focus in the early aughts. So much that, the this is what I was talking about at the beginning of this episode. It was only in the early 2000s that seven AVAs or seven sub-AVAs or seven nested AVAs were awarded to the Willamette Valley. Seven. Seven. <laughs> seven. The reason is Pinot Noir is a very tricky variety. I have a Pinot Noir episode. You should definitely listen to it. And it is one of the varieties that everyone talks about as being the biggest translator of terroir. And because of the cragginess and the um, the, the ancient volcanic and... Um, earthquake activity in this area, there are so many places that this grape can do well, and they're all different. So what Oregon decided to do was cut up this whole area in the foothills of the Cascades and give them specific names so that in the future, as these wine regions start to you know get more and more evolved, we can say, I'm having a Pinot Noir from the Dundee Hills in the Willamette Valley. When you're in the wine shops out there, you're going to see mostly Willamette Valley, Pinot Noir, and you're going to see them with names like Eola Amity Hills, Ribbon Ridge, Dundee Hills, McMinnville, yamhill Carlton. These are nested AVAs or sub-AVAs of Willamette Valley. I don't have time, obviously, to get into every single one of them, but what I wanted to tell you is, Try to find them and try them. The thing is, they're not inexpensive. Wines from this area that truly um, express the variety can be a little bit expensive, starting around 30 bucks and going up from there. 30's being kind of kind. But this is this is some of the most beautiful Pinot Noir America makes, and there's a reason for it, and there's a reason why it was all cut up like that, to have all these sub AVAs. And that is the Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. Pinot Gris is a big deal there. Chardonnay is a big deal there too because that was one of the OGs, but Pinot Gris has kind of taken over. South of Willamette Valley, remember we are talking about those three valleys, is the Umpqua Valley. Now, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, someone please help me. But here in the Umpqua Valley, this is where it all began, right? This is where Hillcrest Winery is. There are two nested AVAs in the Umpqua Valley. There's Elkton, Elkton Oregon AVA and then there's Red Hill Douglas County AVA and the thing about Umpqua Valley and the valley south of it the Rogue Valley is that because it hasn't gotten the attention that the Willamette Valley has it's just kind of hanging out and doing its thing (laughs) it's a place I don't want to say I don't want to say it's an experimentation area but it kind of is in a way because they're they're trying different things Umqua Valley and Rogue Valley. These are places where grapes like Cab Franc, Merlot, Tempranillo, Riesling, Gewürzteminer, um, even Veltliner. these cool climate varieties are doing very well in the Umqua Valley. And then just south of Umqua Valley is the Rogue Valley. Again, similar stuff. You're, you're still in this coastal mountain range. So, In the beginning of this episode, I said, let's get into Oregon and understand it so that we can see get on the ground now as it develops. And I said that, and I'm sure you're like, well, dude, there's the Willamette Valley. It's it's developed. But there's so much more. I mean, yes, you have, you know, the Columbia Valley dips in, then you have the Columbia Gorge, and then over on the border, on the eastern border, there's the Snake River Valley, which is really kind of awesome. There's good Syrah being made there. But the thing is, Umpqua Valley and Rogue Valley, even Willamette, they're just kind of beginning. I mean, Willamette Valley in the future could have more smaller little nested AVAs in there as they find out better places for Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Gris. The Umpqua Valley and the Rogue Valley are places that could at some point be like, you know what? Tempranillo is the thing, or you know what? It's going to be Riesling here. There's I'm, there is wonderful wine being made and everything Oregon. Whether it's the Willamette, I've had, I've had amazing wine from Willamette Valley, Rogue Valley, I've had amazing wine from Umpqua. It's just, it's, it's, it's so interesting and fun to see what's going on here, and to think that it only started in the 1960s. I mean, in Washington State, it was the 1980s, 1960s, but you're in on the ground floor right now. Enjoy Oregon wine. I'll see you next week for Virginia. Yeah. VinePair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded and edited by yours truly Keith Beavers at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating VinePair. And I mean big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of VinePair for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Columbia Winery in the fine state of Washington. What? You thought only apples grew there? Columbia Winery crafts critically acclaimed wines from some of the most impossible wine-growing terrains in the state. Did you know that grapes grow in the desert and make rich, amazing wine? No, really, it's like Columbia Winery has captured the state of Washington in a glass. Give Columbia Wine a swirl at their tasting room located 43 minutes north of Seattle. Or visit BarrelRoom.com to have a bottle shipped straight to your door today, where shipping is available.